Well, uh, we're in this uh, series of messages that we've kind of based on the premise of uh, what if God sent me a text message, which I know seems kind of silly, but I think if he did, one of the questions that he might ask us is, are you ready? Are you ready for the return of Jesus? And so we've been exploring a three-part lesson that Jesus himself taught about how to get ready. And we've been exploring a number of different things. Uh, a couple of years ago, or a year or so ago, Peg and I uh, went on a cruise, and we've been on a couple of cruises, and I've discovered it is my favorite thing to do to really relax and get away from things. But there is this uh, thing that happens, I think, on every cruise, I know on both of the ones I've been on, that uh, when the last night or last day of the cruise rolls around, they ask you to, to pack up all of your luggage to get yourself ready the night before and to leave your suitcase outside the door uh, before you go to bed. Now, I've also noticed that some people, I guess, are overly anxious because it seems like around dinner time, people start putting their suitcases outside their cabins. And I wonder, and I guess this really doesn't happen, but I've thought to myself, do they think that's like the end of the cruise? Suppose somebody packed up all their stuff, got themselves ready for the end of the cruise, and just sort of assumed that's it. And they spent the rest of their time in the cabin. They didn't engage in anything else that was going on. They didn't go to dinner that night. They didn't go to any of the shows. They didn't walk on the decks anymore. They didn't go to breakfast the next morning. They just sat in their cabin and waited until they got into dock. They assumed that was it. Well, in this three-part lesson series that we've been looking at, the first part of the lesson, Jesus tells us how to get ourselves ready for His return. And we discover that He says we ought to get ourselves ready And to get ourselves ready, we need to admit in our own lives that we have a need for Jesus' grace and forgiveness because of our own sin. And we need to trust Jesus to be the Savior and leader of our life, and we need to be obedient in baptism. But Jesus would tell us after we get ourselves ready, that's not the end of the cruise. That we need and can stay engaged in life. And so in part two of his lesson, we discover that one of the ways that we stay engaged in life is to faithfully care for everything that God has entrusted to us. And God has entrusted all kinds of things to us. He's entrusted to us time. He's entrusted to us our possessions. He's entrusted to us talents and abilities that we have. He has entrusted to us our finances. And everything that God has given us, He wants us to use wisely, and He wants us to use it in a way that helps to fulfill His mission for our lives. Today, then, I want to talk about the third part of Jesus' lesson, another way that we stay engaged in life as we get ready and look forward to His return, which, remember, we've said all along, we can be sure of Jesus' return. He promised it, and He has fulfilled every promise that He has ever made. Now, these lessons we've been looking at are found in Matthew chapter 25. And again, today I want to encourage you, I hope you brought your Bible. And if you did, uh, pull it out and open it up to Matthew chapter 25. We've been looking through this. And I hope maybe over the last couple of weeks you've been reading through this chapter on your own a little bit and just discovering maybe even more than what we've talked about here as Jesus teaches. But we're going to be in beginning in verse 31 of Jesus' story today. Matthew chapter 25. Here's what he says. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all of the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. Now, there's been some debate about this glorious throne. Does He mean He's going to establish some kind of earthly kingdom? Well, that doesn't seem to be what He indicates. He indicates that He will come and He will sit on His throne and there will be a form of judgment or examination of our lives. Verse 32 says that all of the nations will be gathered before Him 
And He will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Now, I know in the ancient culture, and I think still today, it was not unusual for a shepherd to have a flock that contained both sheep and goats. But there would be times where the shepherd would need to separate them. Put the sheep over in one area and the goats over in another. Jesus says, verse 33, He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. Now let me just warn you today, if you're a fan of goats, which I don't know that I've ever met anybody that's really a fan of goats, but the goats are going to get the short end of the deal here, okay? And rightly so, think about it. Sheep are mild-mannered, wonderful animals who follow. Goats, on the other hand, can be quite stubborn, can't they? Got a mind of their own. Well, anyway, Jesus says He'll separate them. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then listen to what Jesus teaches next. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. I mean, that's awesome, isn't it? That they've done that for Jesus? Wait a minute, look at verse 37. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison or go to visit you? Jesus, when did we do this? Jesus answers, verse 40, the king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for the one of the least of these, brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, here's the goat part, Depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Now we haven't really said much about this as we've worked our way through Jesus' teaching here, but several times He makes reference to hell, doesn't He? He makes it pretty clear that when we get to the end of life, there really are only two options. Either we will have followed Jesus, we will have gotten ourselves ready, and we will spend eternity with God in heaven, or if we have not gotten ourselves ready, there is another place called hell where those who are separated from God spend eternity. Then he says this to them in verse 42. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. And they also will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? He will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, the goats, those on His left, but the righteous to eternal life. Now, first, let me be very clear and clarify what Jesus is not teaching here. He is not saying, that I earn my way to heaven by doing good works. 
that if I do enough good, I will earn my way into heaven. How am I so confident of that? Because that would be inconsistent with what Jesus taught in the rest of His ministry. He never taught that. It would also be very inconsistent with what the rest of the New Testament teaches. In fact, listen to what Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says. It's talking about Jesus and it says, He saved us, not because of the good things that we did, but because of His mercy. He washed away our sins and gave us new life through the Holy Spirit. Jesus is not saying that I earn my way into heaven by doing enough good things. Now, Jesus is teaching that those who are ready, those who in their lives have stepped across the line of faith and have trusted Jesus as their Savior and their leader, that the result or the evidence or the fruit of that decision to trust Jesus, the result of that decision will be that we will do good to people who are around us. Jesus says that people prove themselves as His followers by doing good to other people. Jesus says that when I... He teaches here that when I stand before the throne and God examines my life, I will not be graded on my religious jargon. I will not be graded on church membership. I will not be graded by how many Christian songs are on my iPod. I will not be graded by how many Christian books are on my shelf. Jesus says, my life will be examined in light of how did I respond to human need. The sheep respond with compassion. The goats did not. Jesus in this story talks about the least and the lost and the lonely. And He models in His life reaching out to them with compassion. Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that He has not already done first. He modeled compassion in His life over and over and over again. And Jesus says those of us who are really ready for His return... We will model in our lives compassion for the least and the lost and the lonely of our community. That's how we'll show that we are ready. Jesus says we will be ready if we have compassion for the least, the lost, and the lonely. And if that's going to be true, then we need to make sure that we don't overlook small chances to do good. Do you notice that both the goats and the sheep ask the same question? Look at verse 37 again, and it's the same question that the goats ask a little bit later. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, uh, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? It seems to me that Jesus is saying those, those little... Um, seemingly unimportant, easily forgotten actions of love and kindness that seem so unimportant to us. Jesus says it's those actions, those very simple acts that matter to God. In fact, here's an important truth that we need to understand in our lives. That it's not about the big things. It's often about the little things. You know, when it comes to to global issues like poverty and hunger, or even local issues like our current economic crisis,
crisis. It's easy for me to look at that and go, what can I do? I mean, I'm just one person. What difference can I make? Can I really change anything? And you know what? That's true. We really can't, can we? But if I look around, I can make a difference in someone's life. There are small things that I can do that make life better for someone. All of us probably know somebody who is lonely. And we could visit them. Probably all of us know someone who is sick. And we could encourage them. You've probably all seen that commercial on TV, and I can't remember if it's for an insurance company or some kind of financial group. But it's that series of events where somebody watches somebody else do something very simple and kind for somebody else, but then they're, we are led to believe that they're inspired by that action to do something very simple and kind for somebody else. And the chain of events just keeps going until you see that it has come full circle. Maybe that's the kind of simplicity that Jesus was talking about. Just reacting to human need and to people with very simple acts of kindness. You know, if I had a bag of fertilizer and I took that bag of fertilizer and I dumped it all in one place on my yard, it would burn up my grass, wouldn't it? It would ruin it. But if I take that same fertilizer and I spread it out all over my yard, or if I had enough, I began to spread it into my neighbor's yards, what would happen? The grass would be healthy and strong and green, wouldn't it? If I watered it down here. It would look good, wouldn't it? God says we need to spread ourselves around the community and everywhere we need to go, we need to fertilize it with compassion. And we can make a difference. Now here is a very important truth that we need to understand. Some people don't necessarily remember what they are told of God's love, but they will never forget what they experience of God's love. It's true if you stop and think about it. People don't necessarily remember what they are told about God's love, but they never forget what they experience of God's love. Now if we're going to be a people who takes advantage of all of the small chances that come along, I think there are a couple of things that have to be true about us. One, we have to sometimes step out of our comfort zones. You know, for a lot of us, the thought of doing something good for somebody else, it, it makes us uncomfortable. But if we're really going to be a people who are ready for the return of Jesus, we have to step outside of what is comfortable for us and reach out to people that are hurting. And the second thing that has to be true for us is we have to be willing to show concern. Now, I know that seems obvious, doesn't it? But for a lot of us, we need to soften our hearts a bit. We need to be a little more sensitive to the pain of other people. And with a softer heart, we need to reach out. Maybe we need to pray to God, God, would you give me the kind of heart that you have towards people? God, would you help me to see people the way that you see people? Jesus says we need to have compassion for the least and the lost and the lonely. And if that's going to be true, then don't ask for a receipt. Do you notice the people, the, the sheep here? Do you notice that when they say to Jesus, Jesus, when did we help you out? It, it, you sort of realize they weren't worried about scoring points in heaven, were they? 
In fact, that wasn't their motive at all because obviously they didn't even realize that anybody was keeping track of all of these times that in compassion they had reached out to meet the needs of somebody else. And for us, it is not about scoring points in heaven. That's not the motivation. When I played basketball in high school, we had a guy on our varsity team named Steve Lyford. And uh, he was a pretty good ball player, but he was pretty self-centered. At any point, I think, in any game, you could have stopped the action and you could have asked Steve how many points you got right now, and he'd have told you. Because that's all he was concerned about. He was concerned about adding to his own statistics because he hoped to get recruited and play in college, and honestly, he had very little, if any, concern for anybody else on the team. It was all about, what do I have to do for myself to get what I'm after? And if reaching out in compassion to other people for you is all about scoring points in heaven or putting another notch on your belt, I want to tell you that's the mind of a goat, not the mind of a sheep. Jesus says in Hebrews chapter 6 that we don't have to worry about keeping track because He always sees what we're doing. Hebrews 6 says this, God is fair. He will not forget the work you did and the love that you showed Him by helping His people. And He will remember that you are still helping them. You don't have to worry about trying to keep score or earn points with God. Just know that He always sees what we are doing. Jesus also teaches that if we are to have compassion for the least and the lost and the lonely, then don't exclude anyone. Don't exclude anyone. I want you to think about the goat's response in verse 44. They say this, they also will answer, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? You know what? You get the impression that if they had known that Jesus was behind those people, that if they had known that in serving the least and the lost and the lonely of their culture that they would have been serving Jesus, then maybe they would have done it. But I think like us, the people who found themselves on the left that day, the goats, they had certain people that they had excluded from helping. Who is on your list? Who's on that list of people that you'd say, well, I would help this people, but this list over here, I'm not helping them. Is it people who find themselves in difficult situations because of their own bad choices? Is it people of a certain political party? People of a certain race? People of a different religion? A Muslim? You fill in the blank. Who is on your list that you think to yourself subconsciously, maybe, I wouldn't help them? Jesus modeled and said to us in this story, nobody should be excluded. You need to have compassion for the least and the lost and the lonely of your community. And you know what? At some point in our lives, that list, the least, the lost, the lonely, at some point in all of our lives, we find ourselves on that list. That describes us at some place in our life. Jesus says, as you see other people in that point in their life, reach out to them in compassion. Somebody who's really getting ready for my return, that will be a characteristic of their life. Because remember, after all that principle, some people don't necessarily remember what they are told of God's love, but they never forget what they experience of God's love. 
Let me just tell you two or three stories to kind of wrap this up. I hope these would be inspiration and encouragement to you. And just some reminders of the difference that can happen in people's lives through simple acts. Kurt Warner is the quarterback for the Arizona Cardinals, and I'm not a great NFL person, so if he's gotten traded, I'm sorry, I don't keep track of that very well. Last I knew. And uh, Kurt Warner and his family have this tradition. On the night before he leaves town for a road game, they all go out to dinner. And when they get to the restaurant, the game begins, and they call it the restaurant game. The children begin scanning the restaurant. And together, they pick out some person or some family in that restaurant. And as a family, they decide, we're going to pay their bill tonight. And so once they have played their game and picked out somebody in the restaurant, Kurt Warner will call the the waitress or the waiter over and say, we're going to pay for their food tonight. That person has no idea that some NFL star has picked up their bill that night. But Kurt Warner and his family have done something in kindness to encourage somebody. There is then, uh, his name is uh, Thomas Keller. Uh, he lives in California and he is known as the San Diego Highwayman. And since 1966, uh, Thomas has been driving around his 1955 Ford, which he has made to look kind of like the Ectomobile in uh, Ghostbusters. Some of you are still familiar with that. Some of you are going, never heard of that movie. Um, He drives this Ford up and down the highways of California looking for stranded motorists. He pulls over, helps them with whatever he can. He doesn't ever receive any kind of payment. He just simply gives them his business card and he asks this one thing of them. He says to them, the next time you see somebody who's stranded alongside the road, would you stop and help? And the stories have come one after another after another of people who have been helped by him who the next time they saw somebody stranded, they stopped and helped them. Then there's the story, I want to read you a letter. This is a letter that I received from a friend of mine named Griff Ray. Now, uh, I, I tell you a lot of stories about myself, and most of the time it's much easier for me to tell you the stories where I mess up along the way. And there are plenty, plenty of those stories. But I, I want to read you a story. I'll tell you about Griff. Griff was in my youth group over 20 years ago when I was the youth pastor at a church in Fort Myers. And let me read you a letter that Griff wrote to me. Uh, he wrote this just a year or so ago. He said, I remember when you started a new job as our youth minister. You inherited a group that had known many youth ministers and that had definitely had their issues. And yes, they did. I was for sure the most arrogant and self-deceived of the bunch. And yes, he was. You jumped in with both feet. You loved us, taught us, shared your life with us, and you challenged us. Most importantly, you challenged me. And that is about all I needed. You called me out of my self-rationalizations and you called me to a purpose. You asked me to pray for my seeking friend and we began to pray. And that is the week that I really met Jesus. Twenty years later, you know what Griff is doing? Griff is the teaching pastor for a very large, very healthy church in Lexington, Kentucky. I didn't do anything phenomenal in Griff's life. In fact, I look back at it and think I was a failure. But I just loved him. I loved him for who he was in that moment and with great patience, believe me, a lot of patience, I put up with his stuff and just kept loving him. I want to tell you this morning, we can make an incredible difference in our world if we would just love people. Would you imagine with me this morning, what kind of difference could we make in our community if just our church 
the three or four hundred people who call Cross Point their church, would every day in our lives, in our community, just respond to the least and the lost and the lonely with compassion? Can you imagine what that would look like? Could you begin to imagine what God could do through us in just our community? Can you imagine the hundreds of lives that would be impacted and changed? It could happen. It really could happen. If you and I would just decide today that we are going to get ready for Jesus' return and we're going to get ready by having a heart of compassion every time we see human need. Just imagine what God could do in our city. Would you pray with me? God, I thank You for Jesus' lesson. They are so encouraging and yet so challenging. God, I pray that You would help us to have the heart that You have towards people. And God, I pray that every person who calls Crosspoint their church would be touched by this message today, not from me, but from You. And God, beginning today as we leave this place, that every time we encounter people, we'd see them the way that You see them and we would respond with a heart of compassion and kindness. And God, we'd love them the way that You do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.